What's up? What's happening? Welcome here to Lacrosse. Now that is Tom Eschen. I'm Travis Selders. Lots of things going on in the lacrosse world. Typically the summer, a slower time. Not the case this week. We've got the NLL with a new commissioner. The PLL season continuing to heat up. They head to Denver this week. And Athletes Unlimited on the women's side in full force will be joined by a couple of good guests here coming up. Yes, Lizzie Colson, a captain this week for Athletes Unlimited, the first time. She's yeah. been a captain in her, her life there and, and in her Athletes, Athletes Unlimited, Unlimited life. That, that's a, something I should correct. She's yeah. been a star her whole life. Um, and, and Jack Hanna also is going to join us uh, from the Water Dogs. And he, we're going to talk about desert dogs and water dogs. And he's a part of all of those dogs. And w <laughs> really, which one he identifies with the most. Quite interesting that he's part of both the yeah. Water dogs and now the NLL's desert dogs yes um, but let's start in the NLL with the new commissioner because uh, it was announced we're taping this on Tuesday announced on Tuesday morning that Brett Frude is taking over is as the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League he comes from Stuart Haas Racing where he was the leader of that organization in NASCAR in auto racing mm -hmm. and now he joins uh, the NLL but he has a lot of history in lacrosse, a former lacrosse player at Brown in college. He was a captain there, played for a Final Four team at Brown back in the early 90s. Uh, obviously, he was also from Central New York. So he has a history in the sport, and now he tries to bring some of what he did in NASCAR to the NLL. Yeah, he also still coaches his kids and all that. That's in kept Carolina. him involved, and he even says he's played some rec leagues and things. So he has, even after his college career, which has been over for a little bit of time here, he's continued to be involved in the sport, which I think is important and it feels like anytime you have somebody in this area of expertise that has a passion for the sport it's a really great match and I, I mean I obviously it's hard to look too deeply into it on face value right now but you look at his resume and what he's been able to put together and what he said so far it feels like a very professional hire for a professional league that to me is the is the one that's been around the longest it's been the most successful over the course of a few decades here in all professional lacrosse to me it makes sense and he's a pro and he looks and feels like a commissioner to me which is really important in this day and age yeah i mean you look at the nll it's coming up here in a couple of years on 40 years mm -hmm. of existence it has been around for longer than any professional lacrosse league we've seen i think the thing that stands out from listening to or a couple of things that stood out from listening to his introductory press conference that the nll held earlier today one it does not seem like expansion is front yeah. of mind right now for this league which I think when you start to talk to people around the league and kind of get a feel for where they're at, it feels like that is where they want to be, which is, all right, we've got a pretty good stable of teams. We've got players that make all of those teams competitive, but we've got so many teams that are both to, about to add this Vegas team here this year that, like, you've got a lot of teams that aren't quite locked in and stable in their cities yet. And so if you have too many of those situations the league sometimes struggles to continue to grow with those teams kind of lagging behind. Like, everybody wants to be where Colorado and Buffalo are at, where they're filling stadiums for major games, and it's like these sellout crowds. But you have situations, whether it's in Texas or New York or San Diego, where you still have to grow that fan base because those teams are very, very new in new emerging lacrosse areas. So that you got to sell the indoor version of this sport a little bit more. So I think that's probably the right move when you look at, all right, we add Vegas, we add another great market with a, a great ownership group. 
Now let's try to grow those new markets so that we can get people more on a, on the same page well, and, in terms and of that fan men, bases. And that mentality is, is one of the reasons we had a change in yeah. commissioner at the end of the day. We, we know from talking to people around the league that Nick Sakevich, you know, for all the great stuff he brought to the league, the TV deals at the end of his tenure there with ESPN, TSN, and, and all the other things, he was a big expansion, big proponent for that. And when that didn't align with a lot of the other people, the board of directors and what have you, that was when, you know, people started to say, okay, is this the right move for all of us moving forward for better or for worse and then you bring in somebody here in Frude that isn't that's not the first thing on his mind and I think what we talked about and what you saw in the press conference is some of these corporate partnerships things that he procured for Tony Stewart and his company um, were some of the big things that he hopes to bring in it's not it's flashy for the fans you know like to me that doesn't mean a whole lot and it probably you it's like okay I don't really know what that means for me and my actually my actual uh, you know viewing of this and fandom but it it does help the league moving forward and doesn't detract from, you know, adding more teams, like you said, that the points you were making, too. But, and you know, it's not like the sexy thing, corporate partners for the fan base, but it's what will, at some point, either have this league continue to grow or stagnate it. Like, there, there are a couple of things where it's going to continue to grow. One is the, the media deals and trying to get money there, but that's only coming with fan bases. The other is finding ways to leverage, like, where you do have attention. And... Out, I mean, when you look at professional lacrosse, like the NLL in certain cities has a huge fan base and, and people that care about these teams. That is something you can leverage into sponsorship deals. And he, uh, Brett Frude was talking about it in his press conference. NASCAR isn't what NASCAR is today without corporate sponsorships. It's the reason that the sport exists. Mm. Because of the amount of money that corporate sponsors put into racing. That's why they've got sponsors all over everything. Yeah. And That's so why there's a, I, if you ever covered a race, you'll see after the, the winner of NASCAR, they will take about 20 different pictures wearing yeah. different hats. That's how much the sponsorships mean. So they'll be with their crew, with their family, and they will have someone come in and change their hats for different pictures. That's how big it is in NASCAR. I mean, I don't think yeah. it might get to that level in the NLL, but as what you were saying, it is very important. It's a very involved in, within the fabric of that sport. So he comes from that background, yeah. and I, I and I would assume that part of his selling point to the league is that I have existing relationships with sponsors at almost every place in the United States because there are, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what little part of the corporate world you touch, like almost every single one of them is somehow related to somebody who's sponsoring an NASCAR team because, like, like I said, patches everywhere. So I, I would assume that that was part of the selling point. He mentioned is that in his press conference is something he thinks he can bring to the league. And so I'll be interested to th see as he steps in and kind of tries to get the landscape of the situation, what he then tries to go sell to some of the relation in, to people that he has existing relationships with. Because I think that is maybe the big first big spot where you see maybe his experience pay off for the league. The other thing that I think is going to be important and maybe not as talked about right now is collective bargaining with the players. Obviously, that's been something on the forefront of the league the last few years, and we had the league delayed a few weeks 
couple years ago. It was into the 2019-2020 season, so, I believe yeah. it was. And, uh, of course, there were some things that weren't aligned there. The players wanted um, some more of the, you know, of course, the gate and the concessions and park and things like that. And they have been kind of on this year-by-year basis ever since. So to be able to lock something down, you know, I think they have a contingency longer deal, but I think to be able to lock something down that is firmly a collective bargaining is important. So I'm wondering where that will come into play for him in terms of the roles he's played in the past. And of course, as a lacrosse guy and in terms of the conversations he's had, but that's another important element here for a commissioner in any sport. I think he was, at, and he was asked about that in his introductory press conference today. He did shout out the Players Association, including Zach Career, who was on that introductory press conference. So he knew what his audience was with, with that question. And I, I, he was very complimentary of the players representatives and their not only ability on the field and understanding what the players want, but also their business acumen. So I think he's in, going in the right direction. Uh, there's also, he was mentioning a committee that's been working on the NLL side to try to get this deal done. That has to be front of mind because, I mean, this league is coming off of maybe the best final series we've ever seen and between it, the fan excitement and the exposure and those crowds you have to be able to try to build off of that momentum and there's nothing that'll stall it more than having the league you know the inner the beginning of the league season and training camp and everything cut short due to collective bargaining i mean yeah that that momentum's huge more so the fact they didn't play for a year and a half that too. You, you can't afford to lose more time or more games at this point because then you kind of evaporate. We're like, well, is this a league that actually goes out there right. and plays? So consistent, consistency is for the sports fan, as you know, is so, so important. But I do think by having finally a commissioner, it took them a while to get one, but it, you know, it's, a, it's a selection process yeah. in the NLL. I think finally getting there where the commissioner makes them feel more like you know one of the bigger leagues that we are accustomed to in the U.S. at the very least and, and elsewhere. Like, Lacrosse, the, the professional leagues are kind of all over the place. I yeah. mean, you got Athletes Unlimited, which is kind of its own entity. You got the PLL, which is run by Paul Rabel and Mike Rabel and some pe other people within that. But it's kind of like, what does this look like? And at the end, oh, you have something that's a little more traditional. And I think yeah. that's really important that they draw on that, like you said, almost 40 years of being around, which is really important and helps stability more so than anything else. I mean, some of these other leagues, I don't know what the future will look like. At yeah. least for the NLL, like, okay, you have something that you've had for a while. You have a commissioner in place. You have a, le a clear leader in all this, and you have a path forward. And, I mean, they've got great ownership groups in all these different cities, a lot of which own the buildings, which is a huge help for them having stability in each one of these cities because it – it pays off for these ownership groups if you own the building to have events in those building yeah. in that building, even if you're not a completely selling out because you, it's just added revenue in bringing people right. in the gates. Yep. And so they have the stability that other leagues don't. And so the, everything's set up where you know it feels like they can take steps forward. Now it'll be how do you grow the exposure of the league outside of the, the lacrosse fans in these different areas? Because as great it was as it was in Colorado and as great as it was in Buffalo. You need that all over the league. You yeah. can't just be in two or three cities. Saskatchewan's another great one. But it can't just be in those two, three, four cities. It's got to be throughout the league. And so that'll be a, a big uh, goal of of Brett and the leagues moving forward. Yeah, uh, best of luck to them and that. I'm sure we'll be talking to him in the next weeks and months. As, I mean, the, it's already August, so they're going to – the training camp is right around the corner. Away. We're not that yeah. far away. And the draft, of course, coming up too here. Yep. Um, so that's all very exciting. So, NLL, congratulations. You got a commissioner. I'll see how he does.
Yeah, and you know what? He's a lacrosse guy. He, he doesn't need to catch up on what the sport is all about and what the people are like and what it means. Like, he's he knows all of that. Now it's just stepping in and trying to learn maybe the landscape of a, of a different league. But yeah. he, he's definitely has the knowledge of the sport. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what else he has to say as time moves forward here. For sure. So. Nick Sakavich, to his credit, was also always very transparent which I think a lot of people enjoyed about him. You could ask him in a variety of interviews some questions, and he'd always be pretty honest with you, yeah. maybe sometimes to a fault. But uh, that was always a, a thing that I liked about him in that kind of a role. Uh, let's be honest. The league wouldn't be as large as it is today without him. No. So he did. His, oh, he yeah, came he was, in and yeah. did what he promised yeah. he was going to do. He wanted to expand. He did. And now it's, it seems like it's maybe time for a new era of the league, at least for the time being. Yeah, sometimes that's important in changing hands sure. and, and trying to get some new blood in there at the same time, which I think is really interesting. So, yeah. All right. Let's uh, move on. PLL? Let's talk PLL now. A whole different ball Outdoor game. league. Outdoor league. In the field, I guess. Yeah, they say. played indoors this past week. So they go to Denver this next week, and they were just in uh, Frisco. Frisco, Texas. The star in, yes. the star in Frisco. Yeah. So we'll look back a bit here and look forward. What Some of the pressing questions here is what we often have here. And the archers, you know, you know, we've been we've talked about this, and yeah, they've looked awesome at There's times. Some days where they haven't looked as awesome, and that was this weekend once again, where they also once again scored single-digit goals against the Atlas. Yeah. Second time they've done that this year, and yeah, they've got the best offense in the league. You know, numbers-wise, is it that? And our question that comes down to: Do they have too many feeders on the team? That that's what you wonder with all these def- deferential type type players. Is that Really working consistently is my question because they've had moments that hasn't been consistent over the course of the Archers' tenure. And I, I honestly think the way in which they're playing now, yes, they have too many feeders. Because I watched that game this weekend against the Atlas, and I was really excited to see this game because this felt like you saw the Archers take care of business against some teams that you figured that they were going to beat. But this felt like, okay, this could be the Archers showing everybody, hey, we are a team that can contend for the championship. We're, we could be, like, because the whip snakes we've seen go up and down throughout the year, we are the team that people should be most scared of. I mean, they came into this week with the best goal differential in the league. They were beaten up on teams, and the games they had lost been close. And so you think, all right, maybe this is the Archers' time to really go full pedal to the metal down the stretch. And you watch the, the way in which they play. And this is why I, when we had Tom Schreiber on the show last week, I asked them a question about, like, when do you f- feel like you're making too many extra passes? And when do you say, like, it's just time to shoot? Because I watched Grant Ament specifically. And I know he's coming back from the injury. He's trying to figure out his place in this team. But there was one point on the, the unsettled situation. It's a breakaway. Archers have numbers. And he's basically left alone by the defense as he comes from goal line extended all the way to the top. He must have faked shooting the ball three times before he finally gets to the middle of the field. Nobody has picked him up, and he shoots and scores his first goal of the the season. Now, the result was great, but it didn't need to take 10 seconds for him to get there. Like, at some point, when you've got guys like Schreiber and Manny and Holman and Fields. And I think that's why guys like Fields and Matt Moore have had a little bit more success this year than, I, than some of the other guys at times. And it's because they're, they just shoot. It's like, all right, you know what? I've got a matchup. I think I can win it, and I'm going to shoot the ball. And I think th- th- these extra passes are great, and they're trying to be, you know, make the highlights, whatever. 
at, at some point, I want to see some of these guys on any given possession. You can take turns. But on some of these possessions, they just need to go, all right, I've got a matchup I like. I'm going to win it, and I'm going to go to the rack. And you, the results are what they are. And, you know, if, if it's not your day, hand it off to somebody else and let it be their day. But I think too many times they're differential instead of just saying, I'm going to take the ball, and I'm going to take it on me to, to try to get some, some points. But why do you think that is? Where do you think the deferentialness comes from? It's probably not a word, but you know what I'm saying. It just feels like them as a, it's, I mean, it's part of their DNA, like all of them. I mean, because like, none of them are guys that command the attention. Like even Grant Ament, was, it, it just feels like the kind of guy who's like, he wants to dish it off. Yeah, it, Tom he's, Schreiber, he's always going to pass first. Yeah, it's, yeah. They're, they, uh, you got a lot of guys that not only like in the way they play, but just in the, the feeling them out. It's a kind of dish away the attention, pass off, very team-oriented guys, which is great. But at some point, you have to have guys that are going to just take command of the situation. We've seen it down the stretch of games. Like there have been games that they've lost this year where Tom Schreiber just all of a sudden gone, you know what, we need a goal, I'm going to go get it. Well, we need to do that in the first and second quarters when before they get behind in the games or in the third quarter in this in this game against the Atlas when the Atlas went ice cold offensively and the Archers still couldn't find no. a way to get back into the game. Now, the Atlas is a great defense and I, they have to get credit for holding this Archers team to single digit twice. But nobody in the PLL has a defense that should be able to match up with all the different weapons that the Archers have on a consistent basis. No, I mean, and we talk, I talked about this at the beginning of the segment. I said, yeah, the Archers have statistically the best offense in the league. Yeah, that's going to happen when you score 17 against Chaos, undermanned Chaos in Week 2, 20 against the Cannons. They had another big day against them. They scored 14 against the Chrome, probably their best performance of the yeah. year. Chrome of the second-best defense in the league. So, I mean, they had huge performances, which you would, you would expect them to have. That shouldn't surprise you. It's the games in which they have single digits. And back to what you were talking about in terms of just the, the type of guy they have. And we joked about this with Tom Schreiber, or didn't joke, but we asked him about Will Manny. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, like Will, man, he's always been a good passer. I remember watching him at UMass and, you know, even his first couple of years. And that's all true. But I think if anybody were to ask you what you've seen from Will Manny over the course of his pro career, his pro career, yeah. he has gone more to the side of being a, a shooter, a, great a scorer, a great finisher. So, I mean, if you're going to tilt the balance, it is going the way of a finisher. But it feels like that idea of the extra pass might be something that's overemphasized. If a guy like that, who we have known to be more of a finisher than a a passer, not that he's a bad passer, but you know what I'm saying. There must be something said in the huddle or in practice that said, always make the extra pass every time, right? There, there's got to be some sort of, there's got to be an instruction there well, with that mentality because I don't really know how else to explain it when you have, like, you you talk about these guys, Schreiber, Ament, and those being more, you know, pass-first type guys always. But now you have a guy in Will Manny where they're like, oh, you know, you can pass too. You do as much as you want. You don't have to just finish all the time. When maybe it should be said in the huddle, Will, you shoot the ball when I pass to you. Like, I don't score. want it. That's enough. Stop passing. Stop passing the ball. Don't let the ball leave your stick. That's just, this is why like, I think the Golden State Warriors are the perfect analogy for the Archers. Because if you watch the NBA Finals with the Warriors, like, they would have a quarter where they looked like the best offense ever put on a basketball court together. Because it was unstoppable. The yeah. Celtics didn't matter who they had personnel-wise out there, how they defended him, didn't matter. The, the Warriors were going to get an open three, they are going to knock it down. And then they would go for two quarters 
where they couldn't make an open shot for the life of them, and they looked like maybe one of the worst offenses in the NBA, and why on earth is this team in the NBA Finals? Hmm. And that's what it feels like sometimes with the Archers, because when it's all clicking, and it happens, it's happened a bunch this year, when it's clicking, it looks unbelievable. It's moving fast, they're making shots, like nobody, it almost looks unstoppable, but all it takes is like one little stretch, and all of a sudden it goes off the rails fast. And I don't know if it's them winning a matchup or it's just like it off on a like, given day, a hot a, goalie. I, I don't I'll know. Add to the, or a let's try to get this guy going mentality. You know, yeah. so I, you know, that's where you get some of that deferentialness is that you're like, all right, you know, Grant hasn't scored yet. Let, let's give him the ball to try to get him get one, you know, and then we can get him go. It's more, it feels like that could be part of the mentality too. Hey, let's go get the one to Marcus. Like he, once he gets going, he'll rattle off two or three. It could be one of those overthought processes and it's like who cares who it is you know what let's you know I think it's a little bit of the mix of both I guess is what I'm saying and that's why I I really do think Matt Moore has been a really important addition to the midfield because like there was a they were coming out of a timeout in this game and they they had gone in the huddle and they drew something up Matt Moore came out of the box and said yeah the heck with what we just drew up he went downhill dodge he got his shot on his right hand free and he scored And I just think they need a little bit more of that. I also think this team a couple of years ago or over the last couple of years has been its best when Granny Mint can beat his matchup for Max. And I think when you can, if he can find ways to get open more consistently and beat his guy, then you've got guys like Schreiber and Moore beating him from the top. Connor Fields, I mean, is so versatile, whether they run him out of attack or they just keep running him out of the midfield. It seems like he's a guy that continues to be able to beat his matchup because most of the time he's going up against the fourth or fifth option defensively of a team. It all comes down to that. They They need somebody in that attack unit, whether it's Holman, Manny, or Amen to beat their matchup more consistently, and I think it'll open things up a little bit more. I mean, this weekend's the test because you got the whip snakes, and Matt Dunn is on that defense. Defense is good. You, yeah, the, Kyle Burnlor is playing terrific. You have the pole in Earhart. Colin Squire's having a great year for them out of Denver in his second season. Um, so I don't know if you can beat those matchups, but we'll see what happens. More on the whip snakes in a moment. Yeah. All right, let's uh, change this completely. And how about some fun goal talk because it was a good week of some awesome goals what was your favorite from the weekend yeah I don't know what was in the water down in Texas Mm, but like it was all of a sudden somebody set the tone and it was like all right well we need highlight goals galore because there were probably like four or five of the top goals we've seen all year in in this uh in this weekend I'm gonna go with two from the water dogs uh one is from the guy we're about to talk to here in a second Jack Hanna that backhand laser of a shot because we saw Jeff T do it for the Atlas, and that was a great goal. However, Hannah's was from further out on the run. That's what, to me, just like, when I saw that the first time, I went, whoa. Yeah. Like, it just made you, like, jump in your seat. It was that kind of goal. And the other one was the one for Mikey Sowers where he tiptoed the crease, had the ability to keep a defender on his back without going in, and then do a little backhand shovel. Yeah. 
the two of those goals for the Water Dogs were impressive, and they uh, they feasted pretty good early against the Cannons, and then held on. By the way, the PLL released the top ten of the goals of the weekend. If you're in, you're listening, you want to see these. Yes. That they, you go check out their Twitter or whatever, because that's where you can find these too. So those are two good choice. I really like the Sours goal for me. Filthy. The the balance and the control in that situation is Michael Sowers, right? Yes. That that is who he has been his whole career, and I'm loving seeing this at the top pro level at this point. So that's been really cool. We need to talk more about Michael Sowers. That, they, this dude is so freaking we good. We do, yeah. Maybe we'll, maybe we are right now. Yes, <laughs> you're, you're right. Anyway, you go. What's your so favorite? So I also, I had one, I have an honorable mention. The Chris Gray lefty runner that pinged the corner. That was. The degree, it wasn't as flashy as some of these others, but I, I was watching that game live and I jumped out of my chair. I was, I couldn't, like he was able to release this lefty and it was like an absolute rocket at the corner. It, 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 go check out the goal. It was so cool. And then from no angle, there was, by the way. Yeah, right, there was, there was no, no angle. There was no angle on it. It's one of those kind of underrated goals that you're yeah. like that were a lot harder than it actually looked. Yes. And that's what great makes things look easier than they should. That's true. Um, so my the one I picked was um, the Ryan Tarafenko caused turnover. Fast break, swing move, uh, Nick turn finish goal for the Chrome. I thought that was awesome. Defense to offense, Tarafanko running the field, the cause, tur- the whole nine yards. I thought that was the whole f- the sequence was awesome, and it was you know what I think this league is all about. Yeah. Getting up and down, and you saw multiple guys involved other than just the occasional flash from one. So I, I did think that was my favorite goal of the weekend. And obviously Charlie Bertrand had a terrific goal. The to- did he need Rebound. to do it? Did he need to do it, Travis? I don't know if he needed to do it, but it was cool. It, you know, it, that that was the old Josh Byrne effect. He, I mean, the, I but it I, was a I, poor man's Josh Byrne goal. Josh Byrne makes that shot look easy. He, Charlie Bertrand looked like he had to work a little bit harder. He did. On, yes. You know, that's 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 an awkward shot. It was one handed yeah. between the legs, backhand. Yeah. Yeah. He. He, Not easy. He didn't need, he, yeah. And he scored. And he did score at the end. Of the, and maybe there was some deception there that caused him to be able to score. If he was just going to do this, then maybe it, he would have been stopped. Here's the thing. We <laughs> talk, we're going to talk to Jack Hanna about this in a second. I do love the freedom in which the PLL gives these guys because of it's just a faster game. It's more fluid. It, so it encourages you to try some stuff that you may only try in practice. These guys try stuff that maybe in college they were trying to practice, but like in a game, if they threw it in a big spot, it's not going to happen. They throw stuff that they're maybe not comfortable throwing in different situations, and I love it because it takes the sport to another level. Yeah, and if you miss, the mistake isn't as compounded in the right. pro game. You know, because you have more possessions. Yeah. The, I mean, it's more up and down. It's okay. 30, 30 extra seconds of a shot clock in the college game as a opposed to essentially what you're doing 28 or whatever from or 27 from the pro to 52 53 whatever it is and and we're talking about charlie bertrand and his goal which was number one on sports center and they lost so there's some value in that the redwoods stink they're two and five so you're talking about charlie bertrand and in a loss situation so that was worth it at the end of the day yeah you know so i i i just i like Taking you know the sport to another level, and I think yeah, all that, these all guys, that nice stuff, all these guys so, feed yeah. off each other. We saw in the women's world championships, all those players were feeding off the fact that somebody throws a BTB, and then Dana Doby does this, and like everybody, and it wasn't even just the United States and Canada. You got the feel that everybody was yeah. trying to one up each other, and that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I like that. That is cool. All right, who's the best team in the league? <sighs> so 
you've got a handful of teams you could all go for it because like, you do. I I really do think so because I think you Ooh. can go Whips Atlas. I think the Archers on any given day could be in that conversation. The Chrome have been good at times, and there may be nobody hotter in the seat in the league than the Water Dogs. They have all they, they got Dylan Ward back, and they seem to be going in the right direction. With the Whips at the top, it's easy to say them, but I'm going to go instead with the Atlas because right now they've got the best goal differential in the league thanks to what they did late, uh, almost getting the over-under. I, um, I mean, goal differential, I mean, come on. I think we're putting a lot – because they put it on the standings, okay. I, I no, get no, that no, that's no, a no, part but, of the argument. I feel like everyone's putting a lot of lot into that. And okay, it's like, but okay. here's – but here's like the, I talked about earlier with the archers, yeah, you score twenty against the good job. You added on three or four at the end. Like what? At that point, but, who cares? Well, okay, so that's yes, that's part of the argument, yeah. and, and you're right. Like some of it has to. You have one huge game where you win by ten. Like that's obviously right. going to swing. It skews the, the whole thing. But I think it says something to the way in which you can dominate opponents, which is it can be a difference maker in terms of like who you think is better. And you look at this Atlas team on paper. And we talked about them at uh, in the uh, the middle of the field with their defensive midfield and, and how much I love that. Trevor Baptiste came back in this game against Dallas. Good. And he, I, I don't even know if he's 100% healthy. And he still won yeah. like 75, 80% at the X yeah. against the Archers, which continues to be a huge issue for the uh, for the Archers, by the way. And then on like offense, like there's not a hole in this team. We, I keep saying this. Like you got... Teat and Gray leading this offense. You got a, another great finisher to play off of them in Eric Law. And then this defense led by Tucker Durkin with a bunch of other good pieces around him has ju- it's just locked down and, and loaded. And so like they they went through some really sloppy possessions offensively. And the archers weren't able to take advantage of it. So I mean the fact that they didn't even it didn't feel like they played their best game this week in in Dallas, and they still beat another team that's top three or four in the league and has one of maybe the most talented offenses in the league. I think tells you everything you need to know. The Whip Snakes, while they have the best record, you know they kind of feel like Florida State the second year after they came the football team the second year after they came back and won the national championship with Jameis Winston, where like the whole year. They kept winning, and they were still undefeated, so they had to be in the national championship uh, conversation. But everyone's like, I don't know. They're just finding ways to win. This Whip Snakes team this week went like 20 minutes without a goal. And, they, and yeah, their defense played great. But against most teams, you can't go 20 minutes without scoring and still win. Like, they find ways to win one-point one games, which I think is great. I just don't know how sustainable that is for yet another playoff run with this group i see my counter because i think the whip snakes are the best team in the league and my counter to that yes i recognize the fact that they win a lot of one goal games like the stat they had on the espn broadcast this week 13 and 3 in pll history in one goal game you flip that you flip that 3 and 13 you talk (laughs) about the whip snakes a lot differently it's unbelievable like how different like things could be even if four of those games go a different way yeah completely different yeah, I think belief's a part of it. I think the fact that that group, they can handle any situation. They can also handle any style of game. You know, like you said, kind of an ugly game this past weekend, able to win it by one. Or they can go out and win a game 14-12, to 12, which they did against the Chaos. I think the Whipsnake's ability to either play an up-and-down battle or kind of grind one out is what separates them from everybody else. And, yes, it does force you to – you know, force them to 
play a lot of close games, but they're able to do that. You know, you got to be in it. If, yeah. if, if you're in every game, there, some of them are going to be close. You know what I mean? It kind of adds up at the end of the day. So I, I feel like for them, their ability to either go out and score a bunch of goals or be able to lock down on defense and get the job done, I think that that versatility is to me what has separated them their entire existence here and also this season too they show that I don't know who else in the league has that ability to be able to go out there and grind one out or win a track meet I know the archers can't do that no I'm not sure about the atlas I don't know if because they they have to win like every face-off so you get Baptiste Nardella and I think that's even even things out and the whip snakes to me are gonna be able to grind it out against the atlas and get the job done see I don't think I I do think the atlas even if Trevor Baptiste doesn't win 75-80%, like I do think they have the ability because of their defensive strength to play different types of games. Like I don't think they have to play in a track meet. Like I, I do think they have really good balance. Maybe as if like if there's anybody that can compare to the balance of the Whip Snakes right now in the league, I think it's them. Yeah. No, I think they're very close. Like I, they, do, I agree with that. Yeah. So I think, I think be a very they're close neck and game. neck. I. I just worry that the whip snakes show up every week and it's like, all right, well, we're, we're going to find a way to win because that's what we do. And that, like, the Atlas at some point has, like, this little, a little bit of a chip and it's like, no, 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 we, we've got this. I guess, you do think that whip snakes Atlas would be close? Yeah. What's whip snakes record all time in close games? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? <laughs> You, you got me there, Tom. All yeah, right. They're that's really good, good in one-goal games. That's, that's but sometimes that record doesn't tell you everything. It doesn't you tell you They the have story. lost three one-goal games all time, yep. okay? I watched you including that. one this, That was me. Including, including that was one nice. this year to yep. the Water Dogs. Yep. I know. Yeah, that's you know? true. They do every so often. There is a, and you could be like Florida State. Who knows? Or Mich- Michigan State. One year they go to, like, the Cotton Bowl or something, and the next year they went, like, three and seven. I mean, they that fell off the cliff. Well, that's, see, that's, that is the, that's my argument is like it, at some point, sometimes like when you live on the edge for that many games, some point, like, because none of these teams are drastically that much better or worse than anybody else. Like for the most part in professional lacrosse, these teams are like, I mean, some are better than others, but they're all in like the same general ballpark. So you play enough one goal games, somebody else is going to make a play that you don't make at some point. Like, it just comes down to statistics. It, it, but those, the, t- the statistics show Gotta that Gotta get that Joe Keegan on. Yet. Statistically, what are the chances that the Whipsnakes continue to have this kind of run in one-goal games? Jack Hanna had a goal and assist against the Cannons this past weekend. We caught up with him about that, NLL, and much more today. So we're now joined by Jack Hanna from Water Dogs. And Jack, I, I got to start with the goal, the backhand. Like, w- what is going through your mind when you throw that thing on net? Well, you know, I he played me to my top side. I kind of rolled underneath, and I, I knew my hands were free, so I kind of just let it go. I felt like I was close enough. Um, didn't really do too much thinking. Kind of just it just kind of happened. How many goals did have you had like that in games in your career? I, I think that might have been my first backhand. Okay. I think I've shot a couple in college like that, um, but yeah, I don't know if I've scored any like that. I've only shot a couple like that in a game in college, but. Uh, it's came out a couple times in practice. That's kind of where I've had that from. But yeah, how did that was my first successful attempt? How did Coach Tierney feel about those shots you took in college? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Most of them happened in practice, so you know, obviously, it wasn't as as easy for me to just kind of let that thing fly in, in college. But 
<laughs> that's all right. Um, you know, I, but yeah, we worked on it in practice in college. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I think there you hit, we hit on this, like there's a freedom to the PLL game. I think some of it has to do with the shot clock, the smaller field and it's faster and it's quicker. Like possessions maybe aren't quite as important as every possession in college because of all that. But like we had, Char we're going to have Charlie Bertrand on here in a minute. Like, is there some freedom that you feel in the pro game that where you go, you know what, why not? Like, let's throw this thing on there and, and see what happens. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think part of that's, you know, the shorter shot clock and a little less structure and how we play. So if at times you got to scramble a bit and just use your scale to, to try to put a good shot on goal. Um, you know, and in college game, you know, there's a little bit more structure to the offense and things like that, obviously, because, you know, you have more time, you can run a offensive set and really work for, you know, a whole minute at a time for a good possession. But I say that freedom comes in the PLL, I believe, just kind of from that sometimes you just got to scramble and get a good shot off. And there's a lot of guys with a lot of skills. So you see some pretty cool goals. Yeah. And obviously you've now got a good chunk of the season, your first season under your belt. Are there any guys on your team or another that you sort of you know, watch in awe that maybe you saw on the other sideline in college or even grew up a little bit seeing too that you're like, man, he does that really well. You got a guy like Zach Courier gets every ground ball on your team or Dylan Ward or someone like that. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I would say, you know, at this level, the one thing I've figured out is pretty much every guy has something that they can do very well that has separated them in the college game. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, like you said, watching, you know, watching Zach Courier pick up the ball and, uh, in practice and even watching him in games, you know, like some of the times when he picks it up, I'm a little in awe how he did it. Um, but, you know, trying to pick up from everybody, you know, obviously watching Ryan Brown shoot a lacrosse ball is a pretty fun thing in person. Um, I think we can all agree upon that. But, uh, you know, I, I would say there isn't a guy that I haven't tried to pick something up from um, from watching. And that goes for guys on other teams and on my team in general. But it's just really it's really f fun to be around that much skill and see, you know, how, how some guys have some, you know, special skill that they've learned how to do and it separates them. And it's kind of fun to kind of watch and try to do some of that stuff. So along those lines, like what have you learned about what you think you can bring to the table and, and what you felt like you brought to the table so far for the Water Dogs? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I have a skill set to be able to dodge and, and, and do a lot of things. And right now I'm just kind of figuring out how I can use my skill set to the best of my ability to, uh, to help the, you know, the water dogs win. So, you know, wherever that may be. And like I said, you know, you got Zach Courier in the wing. So my job isn't really to go on the wing and pick up all the ground balls. So I'm just kind of listening right now to be doing my job as a rookie and trying to, you know, do whatever I can to help us win and, uh, kind of like listen to the older guys and, uh, you know, just have fun doing it. I don't think anybody can argue that your time at Denver, you know, didn't help you, of course, in making the transition to the next level with, of course, your coaching staff and the other guys you played around. How about the travel? You know, in terms of going somewhere different each week, I guess could be because Denver obviously isn't as close to some of the other locations that these guys have had to play. Has that helped? Is it going to have a pattern and, and be able to have a routine, you know, for longer trips? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, Playing in the Big East, being out in Denver, obviously, like you said, you know, we, we get a, we got plenty of time on a plane. So I'm definitely very comfortable in the airport and traveling and things like that. So um, it's, it's still a lot of traveling. It's still, you know, it's an adjustment to make for every single weekend to be playing. Obviously, there's not really like you have the home games and we did it at school, but uh, I'm definitely comfortable on a plane and uh, 
traveling around to play. So it was definitely a, a much easier transition for me than it might be for some other guys, I feel like. By the way, that question comes from somebody who doesn't like flying. So I get it. You know <laughs> what I mean? If you're comfortable on playing, go for it. But, like, I, I think about that. It's very daunting to me. It's a very daunting task. <laughs> well, I, what are you going to say, Travis? Yeah. I mean, the good news, Jack, you do have a home game this week. You're still there in Denver where you went to school. You get to – not only are you playing in Denver, you're playing at Peter Barton Stadium. How cool is that going to be here this weekend? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited. I mean, you know, I, you know, when I graduated, kind of seeing the PLL schedule and being unsure, obviously I had to go earn a roster spot and things like that, but I was never really totally sure if I was going to play in Peter Barton again. So, you know, being, uh, you know, still on campus now, uh, living here right now, it's, uh, it's going to feel like it's a regular season game again and I'm playing at home. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm excited to see all the fans in Denver show out to Peter Barton again. It's, uh, it's going to be a very exciting weekend. Yeah, obviously your pro lacrosse career has begun. Also, your post-collegiate career in life is here. I guess, how do you approach that? What's going to be different? How, how different is it going to be for you? Well, uh, you know, we're still only a couple months into adult life. So uh, <laughs> I would say I haven't changed much yet. I, <laughs> I, you know, obviously the season ends for college and you kind of get thrown right into this PLL thing and it, it kind of happens quickly and it's very fun while you're doing it. But uh I would say not not too much has changed in my life yet. I'm still focused on lacrosse and just kind of staying in the best shape I can and, and playing as best as I can. But uh, I don't know. For, for right now, my life has not changed that much, I don't think. Yeah. You got to soak up the you know early post-college life as much as possible because once you really get in the real world, it's over. Like you're, you're in it for the long haul. I, you, uh, you you grew up in Ohio. You, you play in Denver. Two places where I think this sport has really emerged in big and, and fun ways. Like compare what it was like growing up in Ohio playing this sport to what you've experienced with the lacrosse culture in Denver that obviously has has really continued to grow. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I would say when I was growing up in Ohio, lacrosse was definitely still growing. I mean, it was just became a state-sanctioned sport my freshman year of high school and just the, the amount that it's grown since I was in high school. And I go back and do camps and, and hang out with the high school kids at my, my, at my, uh, my high school and, you know, go help them out at their practices and coach them up and things like that. The, the skill growth and the, the game in Ohio has grown exponentially. And it, it's absolutely amazing to see now you got kids going to college on a regular basis. It's not, it's not rare to see a kid go play division one out of Cincinnati, Ohio now. And that's, you know, that's awesome to see in the game. The game's definitely growing really fast. And then kind of moving in from when I was in Ohio to come to Denver, the, De the lacrosse scene in Denver is fantastic. I mean, the fans love it. You know, the, ki the kids are good. The kids, you know, the entire community at the high school game, the youth game and everything like that in Denver is amazing. And it's, you know, it was really fun to be a part of being able to coach some kids up in the area and be around it for the last couple of years while I was at Denver. Um, it, you know, it's been awesome. I can't say anything uh, but positive, positive stuff about it. And now, you know, in the NOL side of things, you were picked in the expansion draft by the Vegas Desert Dogs. I guess we'll start this, these questions. This is a whole different world, I guess, out there in Vegas compared to what you just talked about. That's why I want to ask about it. What is a desert dog to you? I don't know. I don't know what a desert dog is. Uh, I, I don't know if I know or not. I mean, yeah, like, what you know, what's a water dog? I guess it's True. just, a, you know, like a water dog. I don't know if there's a specific dog that only lives in the water, but... I also don't know if there's a dog that specifically lives in the desert. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, they're both dogs. Dogs, no, dogs, they one in the same term for me. Uh, so 
I don't know. I guess it's just location, location for the desert dogs. We're just dogs that live in the desert. You know, Jack, I mean, this has become big, but like you could say you got some dog in you, oh, you know, no. that like that's 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 where we're going at this point, because you're all you do apparently is play for the dogs. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess you could say I'm a double dog. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> on, a di- like, on a more serious note about the opportunity to play in the NLO, we were talking about this before. You, you played a little bit of box in Ohio when you were coming out of high school, and you, you've played some in the summer when you were in college. But what do you look forward to about the opportunity to possibly compete in the NLO? I, I would say more than anything, I'm excited to learn. Um, there's, a, there's a lot that I, you know, I, I've picked up over the years in playing for – you know, my coaches at Denver that have a, you know, great impact in the box game as well as in the field game. So I've, I've picked up a lot and learned a lot about the box game throughout the years at Denver and just, you know, kind of uh, being a part of the collegiate series in the U S box up and uh, playing in that I've picked a lot up, but at the same time, there's still so much to learn about the game. And I'm really excited to be around some of these Canadian guys that have been playing their whole life and uh, really see how much I can develop my game some more to help me out, uh, you know, kind of move down the road here. But yeah, for the most part, I'm, I'm just excited to learn. I'm excited to see what I can do and uh, help the desert dog wins games. Yeah. And I'd imagine that that's exciting for you to still have some of that structure too, and have something to prepare for on a weekly basis. Cause you hear a lot about obviously rookies in the field game do so well right off of that college, all, all that structure they have. And then second and third years when it's all right, you know, what are you going to do now that you're not coming right off the college season? I'm sure having the NLL for you as it as for some other guys will help with that and, and, and staying, you know, on that week to week and make, you know, obviously it's a grind, but keep keeping up for the field game at the end of the summer at the beginning of the summer too yeah absolutely and then all season's obviously longer and it's uh you know it's it's intensive on your you know you're playing a lot of lacrosse and that's that's what i want to do you know that's kind of what i've signed up for at this point i'm, I'm i want to play as much lacrosse as i can and continue to get as as good as i can to be helpful here in the nll and the pll so um yeah you know I, i'm excited and i think it's going to help me moving moving forward well, uh, Jack, we wish you luck this weekend. We can't wait to see you back there at, at Peter Barton Stadium with the Water Dogs. Uh, big game for you guys this weekend. We'll be watching, and uh, good luck. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, we're approaching week three of the Athletes Unlimited women's lacrosse season. Sam Apuzo's team hasn't lost just yet, but it is Taylor Moreno who sits in first. New captain this week is Lizzie Colson. Amanda Johansson also gets her second straight captaincy. But it's Colson in her first that we wanted to talk to. Travis caught up with her today. As we get ready for another week of Athletes Unlimited lacrosse action, we've got Lizzie Colson, one of this week's captains, joining us now. Uh, Lizzie, for you, uh, we're talking on Monday before you draft. So let's talk strategy. Like, what, what, what's your strategy going into being a captain this week? Um, I think my strategy going in um, to this week is just kind of like I just said, to try and think about who I wouldn't want to compete against and try and grab them on my team before someone else can. Um, I think I'm going to try and grab a really strong midfield, some players who can just play both sides of the ball, um, and then obviously get some girls who can put the ball away in times when we need some goals. Um, and then defensively, I guess just people who I like playing next to, people who I feel um, secure and safe next to on the field. Um, but, you know, you really can't go wrong. There's so many good players. Um, I think it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. So so who are those offensive players that you don't want to have to match up against in, in this league? <laughs> um, there's a lot of them. There's so many good shooters. But, uh, like, the obvious Charlotte North is she's just a great shooter and she can just finish in times when teams need her. Um, I think Lauren Gilbert's been looking really, really good. She looks quick. Um, 
Kenzie Kent's super shifty on the offensive side. Um, there's just I could go on. There's so many people who you know you got to keep an eye on. Um, so yeah, hopefully I get you know one of my top choices as the attackers who someone who can finish and put the ball away when we need some points. Over the course of these first couple of weeks, what have you learned about this league and, and this season this year? For you, obviously, coming off playing in the World Championships as well. Yeah, um, it's been cool to watch um, all these girls come from all these different schools and bring their own style and creativity. Um, it's been really fun to learn from all of them, game after game after game. Um, so that's been something that was really, really fun, has been really fun to be a part of. Um, I think the style of this league is right up my alley. It's fast. It's competitive. It's um, kind of scrappy a little bit. Um, and I really, really like how, you know, they let us play and it's, um, it's intense almost, um, but it's fun and it's been really, really cool um, and cool to get to know people from all these different places. But um, definitely different than World Cup because of the international rules versus this league's rules. Um, but I really enjoy how this is going. You mentioned speed, and uh, you showed off some speed this past week going end-to-end. What, what do you think your top speed was on that goal where you picked it up at one end and it went all the way to the other? I have no idea. I honestly blacked out running down the field. <laughs> it helps that this field is shorter. It's not 100 yards. It's a little bit smaller because there's less people out there, but that's helpful. But, um, yeah, I had, you know, taken a couple of shots in the last two weeks previously um, kind of in the same situation running down the field and I shot a little bit farther out and I probably had space to keep running it in and I just remember this time I was like I'm not going to make the same mistake of shooting from outside I'm not an outside shooter um, and so I ran it all the way in pretty much I was on top of the crease hey, hey whatever works and it worked and like you're you're mentioning like some of the the players you have in the in the midfield and that and what you value like I think you outran Dempsey in the middle of the field like you you showcase that you're maybe one of the fastest players on the field with that play Thank you. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, yeah, I like have good energy, great trip. So like, it was just fun banter back and forth. But like, it is fun to just, I don't know, feels good to run. I like running. It's something I think I'm good at. So I try to play to my strengths out on the field. I, with we mentioned the world championship event and, and 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 your experience with Team USA. What was that experience like in representing the United States and, and winning gold? It was unreal. I mean, it was like an experience I've never had. Um, it was unlike any lacrosse tournament or game I've ever played in. Um, and, you know, it's something that from a young age has been a dream of mine. And then um, almost felt like it was ripped away a little bit from me when I tore my ACL. So to be able to come back and fight through that and overcome so much in such a short amount of time, um, I think it was two years after the ACL tear that we were back out there. Um, it was just, you know, years and years of emotions and anticipation. Um, and then, you know, you're finally there getting the medal around your neck. Like, it's it's unreal. And there's just no real words to describe it. It was super, super fun. Yeah, because that happened during the tryout process, you, your knee injury, right, back in 2019. Like, what, what are the emotions like you're getting your gold medal thinking back to probably one of the low points of your athletic career? Yeah, um, there really are no words for it. I think um, the pandemic, as bad as it sounds, kind of helped me in my recovery timeline just because it bought me that extra year to get faster, to get stronger, and to come back from the ACL feeling better. Um, so I think that that extra year kind of really did help me. But I think, you know, yeah, for a second, I didn't think that this was going to be probable for me. I didn't think that I'd be able to make it back to Team USA. Um, 
and I will never forget the feeling of laying on the turf post ACL tear, but I will also never forget the feeling of walking across, you know, getting a medal on the turf um, in the same USA jersey. It's just something like I, I will never be able to describe, but it was truly like incredible. Outside the gold medal and uh, I mean, winning that championship game, like what's, What's the story or the memory that you'll take away from the experience from the world championships? That's maybe something that's not just the obvious, like what's something that you'll take away? Um, I think, you know, our slogan or our line for the year that we made public um, that we're really trying to stick to was more than a medal. And I think that, you know, being on our home soil and being the first team to win on home soil, that's incredible. And that speaks for itself. But I think, Outside of the lacrosse piece of it, it's just the inspiration that we are hoping to be for that next generation of girls, boys, of young athletes. Um, we really just wanted to be that resource for those those young younger generations. And so I think, you know, being in my home state of Maryland and walking across the turf after the games and seeing girls I've trained for years or girls from across the country or girls I didn't even know, like right in my home state, just rooting for us and supporting us, like, I think just hoping to be that inspiration for the next generation is the storyline. I think that it was great exposure. There were games on all kinds of platforms. You could watch anywhere, um, more countries than there'd ever been in the world game. So I think that it was just, it was really cool to see the growth of it and really cool to see us, you know, hopefully inspire some younger athletes. Yeah, it, it was an incredible event. And the, I mean, from whether it's your team, Canada, England, like the, some of the goals that were scored, it, it was so entertaining to watch. It was a really, really fun tournament. Uh, speaking of the younger generations, uh, obviously Athletes Unlimited has been big in terms of supporting athletes' causes. And, and one that you have been representing is Morgan's Message, which I think is such a, a really important cause in uh, raising awareness for the mental health, especially as student-athletes. It's something that we continue to see be an issue in college sports. How, how did you develop the relationship with, with Morgan's message and, and what do you hope that people take away from you having a chance to represent that organization through your play? Yeah. So I, um, got in touch with Morgan's message, um, actually during the, a little bit after the pandemic hit, um, you know, I was going through my own ACL recovery and trying to figure out what it looked like, you know, in daily life of not playing sport and not having a stick in my hand, not being able to go for runs. Um, and I think, you know, I lost myself a little bit. I was, not really feeling myself. Um, I was trying to be a captain for a team of girls at Maryland, but I, I wasn't my best version of myself. You know, I, I just didn't really know where to go and I didn't know how to support myself and kind of pull myself out of this rut that I was in um, post ACL. And so I got in touch with Morgan's message and became an ambassador um, with that program. And, you know, basically what they're trying to do is normalize, you know, mental health. It's just as important as physical health and athletes and just normalize these conversations and normalize the stigmas that surround mental health. Um, it's a great organization that just really its focus is to put as much emphasis on mental health as we do on physical health. And, you know, they both coincide. You can't, if you don't, you know, you're not your best mentally. And so um, getting in touch with them has just honestly shifted so much of my life and it's been so impactful. And a lot of the work I do now is, you know, making sure that my athletes, I train athletes individually, but I also do a lot of mental skills with teams and with younger athletes individually or in small groups, just working on these mental skills and developing things that, you know, yes, it's important to play wall ball. Yes, it's important to run your reps, but it's also important to work on confidence, work on, you know, reframing, work on that performance anxiety or just kind of like injury, you know, what am I doing now? I'm, I'm hurt and I can't play. Who am I? And what, what can I do for my team? Um, just that mental part of the game is something that's been always important to me. And I think, you know, when it, when my ACL tear 
happened to me, it really, it really came to light, like how important it is to me and how I, I want to be a resource and I want to be an outlet for girls too. No one should be alone, you know, when they're upset or if they're hurting in their mental health journeys. So um, I just want to be an ally to whoever can. Yeah, I mean, I think it's for athletes, men, women, like old, young, I feel like it's always it, like mental health and like talking about being weak or having troubles is, is never somebody any any athlete wants to talk about so normalizing it i think is so important and to see people with your platform i i think can can really hopefully make a difference i hope so i hope it can somebody who has made a difference in the lacrosse community uh, another former terp is uh, taylor cummings and she obviously is calling it now a career i i wonder you having the opportunity to play alongside her and, and watch her come up as you were coming up through the ranks. Uh, what's it like seeing her now step away from playing the sport? Um, I can't thank Taylor enough for everything she's done for, you know, the sport, but also just for me and um, for all the Terps or not Terps, all these like lacrosse players everywhere, the way she's just transformed the sport and been an absolute trailblazer for lacrosse. Um, you know, I can't thank her enough. She, she helped me fall in love with lacrosse. I've never before us had never played with her. She was at Maryland before I got there. Um, so the only time we had played together was that like alumni weekend kind of thing. So it was really, really special to play next to her. And I think with that opportunity to play next to her us, I learned, you know, I knew she was a trailblazer. I knew she, you know, how much she was doing for the sport and it was incredible, but I learned so much more about her as a person and who she is at her core. And she's so incredible, so special, a great leader, a great friend and an awesome mentor. And, um, I can't thank her enough for what she's done for me. And I'm sure, you know, so, so many people feel the same. She's, she's great. Yeah, she, she has meant a lot to this sport and one of the best we've ever seen uh, play this game. It's, uh, it's going to be weird to not see her on the field moving forward. Uh, finally, for you, on top of having a gold medal, you got engaged this spring, right? Like, what, what, what's this year been like for you? Yeah, I did get engaged. This year has been wild, <laughs> like so crazy. I moved across the country. I got engaged. <laughs> like there's been so much, but yes, I did. But hey, congratulations. Just pack it all in on one year. Just make it one super year. And uh, it, it's a good one for, for Lizzie Coulson. We appreciate the time. Good luck with the draft here tonight. We can't wait to see uh, Team Coulson in action this weekend and Athletes Unlimited action. Thank you so much. Great catching up with Lizzie. Awesome career. Maryland, Team USA stuff. She's been busy these last few years and months. Yeah, she uh, she got engaged in the spring, has a gold medal now to add to the bling, and uh, and now a captain in Athletes mm, Unlimited. Yeah. Oh, doesn't get much better than that. Living, loving, and laxing. That's true to the word, true to the phrase, yes. if you will. Phrase. All right, speaking of phrases, um, so the Professional Box Across Association is coming here soon to a city near you, if you will. It is. And they're having a vote for team names. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if they're just trying to have segments like this on shows like this, but they are a treat. Let's start. You, you, you have once um, been a Binghamton I, I lived, guy. I, I lived mean, in Binghamton. Binghamton Rumble Ponies is the name of their baseball team. I lived in Binghamton for a number of years right out of college, and um, they are one of the teams. They've got some, some good options here. I do. So here are the four options for Binghamton for their pro professional box. This is good. Stick with team. us. This is very yeah, entertaining. You're going to want to listen us. to all these. Yeah. So stay. Give us a second. Uh, you got the Binghamton Bombers. No, that's the Ithaca name. Binghamton <laughs> Bravehearts. The Binghamton Blast or the Binghamton Brawlers? What would your selection be? I'm going Blast. 
I like Blast. I also like Bravehearts. You mm. know, like the Braveheart style, the way to end a game. It, I think about Mel Gibson when I see Braveheart, okay. and I don't want to do that. And you don't, you don't want the Ithaca <laughs> bomb, you don't want the Ithaca bombers to have some they're, crossover, maybe with no, the Binghamton I, bombers. I, I don't. Could I, be I, a great are, sponsorship opportunity mm, for the two of them. Yeah, we've got Bronx bombers, Ithaca bombers. Yeah, exactly. So Binghamton just going to roll right into Binghamton that. Too. All right, Charlotte. We we'll go. Yeah. Charlotte Fury. Charlotte Gold Diggers, Gold Diggers, that is. Charlotte Bootleggers and Charlotte United Lacks. I what can't. Weird, these are all very different, these ones. I just can't get over the merchandise opportunities that the Charlotte Gold Diggers would have. Mm, yeah, like some guy digging for gold with a lacrosse stick. I mean, Boom. Kanye West's song oh. would have to be the yes. goal song for every mm. single goal ever scored in that organization's history. Yeah, yep, um, that's true. Um, that's back when Kanye was writing some hits, you know? <laughs> You're saying he hasn't lately? <laughs> I, I haven't enjoyed a lot of the latest Kanye. I do like the old stuff. I don't really, great. I don't like any of those, these, okay. these names. All right, let's move on to Elmira. Let's go back to the 607. Yeah, shout out to the Southern <laughs> Tier in New York. Yes. Lo- you know what? The Binghamton-Elmira rivalry, I just mm. foresee being terrific. What road is that? Uh, yeah, well, it was uh, Route 17 for the longest time, but I believe it finally has turned into Interstate 86. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it, wow. for a long time it was... Finally. So uh, Thank goodness. I 17, 86, whatever you yeah. call it, it it's, you know, you, you know, go about a, an hour to the west of Binghamton, you hit Elmira, where... I'm so glad they changed that road name. Yeah. Where you have a couple of different options. Uh, you got the Elmira Tilt, the Elmira Express, which is also near the name of the high school team there right. for Elmira. Ernie Davis. Yeah, yeah, named after the great Ernie Davis, who was the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy at Syracuse. Syracuse. Thank you very much. Uh, terrific. So, But you can't, d- d- for the high school team and the professional box team that have the same name, doesn't make any sense. So uh, you got to cross that one out. Elmira Renegades and Elmira Huckleberries. Is the Huckleberry native to that region? I do not know. Okay. I'm going Renegades then. And the Huckleberries is. I mean, could you imagine? I guess the Ohio State is Buckeyes. Yeah. Which is kind of in the same kind of a feel, right? I, I Buckeyes seems yeah, a little bit you know tougher that... than Huckleberry. I mean, Huckleberry sounds like it'd be very sour. That's pretty tough. Like you go pick those thing off a branch, and you're not. All I can a good think day. about is Huckleberry Finn. Hampton. <laughs> Let's go to Hampton. The Hampton Neptunes. The Hampton Salty Crabs, the Hampton Hammerheads, and the Hampton Hooligans are your four. I'm all in on Salty Crabs. Okay, yeah, that's not bad. Now, it would be better if you were in Baltimore, because, you know, Virginia Beach, I guess crabs are... The crabs are crabs are still salty there. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and we already had a Hammerheads team in Connecticut. We did. They didn't last for as short long. As long of time as they were. Neptunes, I mean, it is the farthest planet from the sun sometimes, you know, and also the, the king of the deep. Yeah. Neptune. Um, hooligans, eh. I don't think you should be. No. I don't think you should be, like, really supporting hooligans or that kind of behavior. Yeah. So, so, so salty crabs? You in? Sure. Let's go okay. salty crabs there. Um, yep. By the way, you can vote on all these team names uh, on the PBLA website. Mm-hmm. But we're going to keep on rolling through yep. a couple I mean, more we've got options. We've three more here. to go. Three Wait, more teams. We can power through this. We got this New England, fun. New England Warriors, New England Rebellion, New England United Lacks, and my personal favorite, <laughs> the New England Shouterheads. Once again, strictly for the merchandise. Yeah, I don't know. You, I, feel like, not... I feel like Chowderhead has a bit of a negative connotation to it, doesn't no. it? 
Like, you can change that connotation by the way in which you play on the floor. Like what, what is your merchandise thought for Chowderhead? Uh, that, it seems kind of limitless. You got some, some cups of cups of chowder mm-hmm. on there. I mean, but you know, the thing with the merchandise is, is that like you need things that apply that are people are going to want to buy that are outside of just the lacrosse realm. Like if you see a a shirt with a cup of chowder on it, and you're from New England, you go, maybe I need that shirt. Mm, okay. Oh, cool. I guess so. I don't like any of those. Okay. Um, Trenton, the Trenton Terror, the Jersey Shorehounds, the Trenton Titans, and the New Jersey Chopper Squad. <laughs> what are you going for? The, I just New Jersey Choppers. Like, where? What are you? What are we doing? Jersey, What's going on there? Jersey Shorehounds. What is a Chopper Squad? I, I well, I think it's like a motorcycle gang. I, I was thinking helicopters. No, I think like Chopper, like you know, like my Chopper. Like the H E double L hockey sticks angels, like yeah, them? yeah, yeah, like a motorcycle gang. Okay, could, I, I picture a lot of black and mm. and silver. Mm. Okay, in those uniforms, I kind of like terror, the Trenton terror. Yeah, okay, you know it's an emotion. I mean, they do have the Trenton thunder. True. So yeah. I guess that kind of goes along the same, same yeah. realms there. The Shorehounds, sure dogs team. test well, so you can also put dogs in there. Jersey Shorehounds, once again, for the merchandise, just go up to any boardwalk in Jersey mm. and sell Shorehounds mm. yeah. memorabilia, yeah. you're in. Yeah. Game over. And you got the people that send in their pictures of the dogs, like every other league in the world does. All right, let's finish up with Syracuse. You want to do Syracuse? This, it's your hometown. I mean, it is. I was born in... Syracuse, New York. Yep, go for Syracuse, it. Syracuse Sasquatch. Never, never saw one there. Well, I guess no one has really ever spotted <laughs> no a Sasquatch spotted anywhere. Sasquatch, the Syracuse yeah. Revolution, eh. Syracuse Flow, eh. and the Syracuse Sparkle Muffins. Sparkle Muffins really hits the... The Syracuse Sparkle Muffins. Now, I grew up in Syracuse. Yeah. I then I lived in the area for a long time in my life. I have never heard anything connected to sparkles or muffins in, other than maybe a nice bakery here and there. So I don't know where that comes from, why it is, or who decided to put that in there. I think they should go with Sasquatch. The Syracuse Sasquatch. But there's no real, like, it's not like a place where Sasquatches have been yeah, spotted but, in their day. Have, has anybody seen a yes. Sasquatch? I, well, just like, there's people that have claimed to have seen I, there's them. There's just yes. a, lot, a like, lot of snow. You can make like all white, fresh uniforms. You got a big, intimidating Sasquatch on the front. I think that that's like the abominable snowman. Yeah, well, I know. I think they're different. Like Sasquatches are in more warmer climates. They are. The abominable is like the winter version of that. Oh, okay. So you so could. Well, Syracuse, what if you want like Syracuse snowmen? You know. You want to be named the snowman? Yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun. All right, well, Tom, you the can, Syracuse snowman. I don't know if they're taking write-ins anymore. I don't think they Fox are. You could have involved. Maybe get some rights to him. Um, any other famous snowmen that you do we know? Not that I know. Okay, well, imagine um, like you have people that build a snowman with a lacrosse stick. And hey, then- look. The salt potatoes have become a huge thing for merchandise for the Syracuse now Mets, the AAA affiliate. Yeah, there. yeah, that so would be a good. So maybe the sparkle muffins have. Yeah, but Syracuse is known as the salt I know. city. And I know. Their and salt, the salt potatoes, potatoes are, are a big deal up there. Yeah, I, sparkle muffins are not. I just need to. We need to know, like, what is? I mean, I, that that's the thing everyone's going to vote for. You know what we need? We need a team in Utica to be named the Utica Greens. 
Yeah, that'd be great. That would be perfect. Imagine being just a guy or a woman in life, and you're playing on this team, in the yeah. box team. I don't know if the women are involved or not, but I'm just saying. And you're at your work, and you're like, I got a game this weekend. Oh, who do you play for? Syrac- oh, the Syracuse? What's, what's your nickname? The Sparkle Muffins. <laughs> you might lose your job. You might have to walk out. It's over. The Syracuse Sparkle Muffins. I, I, I wish the people luck in choosing these team names. You, you're the people. The people out there. You're you guys the go vote the, yeah. the website for the Professional Box Lacrosse Association, and we will Imagine see. if this gets big and it's on ESPN someday. Oh, big game tonight. The Sparkle Muffins taking on the Hooligans. Have you seen hooligans. some of the games you can watch on ESPN Plus? Yeah. you got names galore out there. There's a lot of names. That's you true. Know? Yeah, there's a lot of different names for different Whatever teams. you think is going to be successful. We're putting, they're putting it in the, the people's hands. So I'm, okay. I'm interested yeah, to see so. what people right. vote for. We just gave <laughs> you our in the people's hands. Well, watch out. <laughs> That's anyway. a scary thought for a lot of reasons. Go vote. Uh, PBLA.com. That was a fun little exercise we just did. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see if anybody's still listening to this. But for now, he's Tom. I'm Travis. We'll see you next week.